you see on the screen here, big words, four square gospel. <clears throat> or big letters, I should say. Not big words, big letters. Four square gospel. Um, this is something I have never done in 35 years of ministry. Talk, teach about the gospel in this approach. Um, I'm not sure exactly why that was. It just never happened. And I just realized, you know what? It's about time I do it this way because I'm a pastor in a group called the Four Square Gospel Church. That's the name of the part of, our, uh, of the family of God in this world that we're associated with, the network of churches and ministries around the world. But that's really not the point. The point is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is four parts. That Jesus is the Savior, he's the healer, he's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and he's the coming king. Four square is a word that uh, literally means four corners balanced. It means that it's, uh, it's uh, about taking a firm stand, being forthright. Those are all things that uh, we want our church and our family of churches to be. But it's really a play on word to identify and highlight the fact that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ encompasses all of this. That he's my savior. He's my healer. The healer of my spirit, my soul, and my body. And he is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit and the one who's coming back, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so all of that is part of the gospel. And we're just taking it a week at a time. Two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus as Savior. Last week, Jesus as healer. And today, Jesus is baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And I ask you to turn to John chapter 7. And beginning at verse 37, you're going to see... Um, actually, I probably got ahead of myself there. Anyway, you, that's coming later. So just <laughs> pretend that isn't there right now. Okay. So... John 7.37 says, on the last day of the feast, or the great day of the feast, well, what is this? So this is talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a, a, a week-long celebration, feast, that God initiated for his people. And along with a lot of things I won't go into, the way, part of the way they celebrated this was for the whole week, for eight days actually, everybody camped out. It'd be like going on a camping trip with your whole country. Everybody is camping out under the stars. And uh, there's feasting. It's the end of the harvest season, so work is done. You know how it is when, you, when weekend comes, you know that feeling that you have when your work week's over? Multiply that much more, and the people are just just excited and celebrating. Uh, uh, Israel is t similar to California in terms of its weather and um, temperatures and so on. And so we get our best weather here in the fall. And that's when this is celebrated. So the weather's great. People are camping out. It's just a great time. But the last day of the feast is the apex or the, the pinnacle of the celebration. And part of that was they, they, the priests took water that they brought from the pool of Siloam and they poured it out at the base of the altar where sacrifices to God have been lifted, been uh, raised to him all week long. And they poured this water out at, on the altar there. And when that's going on, Jesus cries out. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I'll bet there's some of us in this room that know what it's like to be spiritually thirsty. And I'll bet there's a bunch of us here today that know what it's like to have that spiritual thirst quenched. Jesus there, he said, if you're thirsty, everyone is thirsty. 
Let him come to me and drink. He was talking about salvation. We bring our empty cups, our dry and thirsty souls, to the one and only one who can fill and satisfy that thirsting, that longing. He's talking about that point in your life when you cross from doubt into faith and become a follower of Christ, salvation. But he didn't stop there. He said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of your innermost being then. So, so there's something that you're going to receive. You're thirsty, you come to me and you drink. And in addition to that, out of your innermost being will flow a river of living water. And God intended for us to understand the gospel as including both parts of that. That I receive the, the quenching of my soul, but his, his ultimate goal is that the Holy Spirit who takes residence in me, and by the way, the Bible says or teaches us that when I come to that point where I cross from doubt into faith and become a child of God, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, comes and resides in me. God is in me. But it's not God's intention that I, that I just house the Holy Spirit, but that he overflows me with his power to, because there's a world to reach. And so he intended for us to understand that the gospel not only includes the satisfying of my longing soul, but the overflow of the life of God from me by his spirit to reach this world. And so I want to talk to you today about Jesus Christ, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And now let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts is the next book after John. If you're in John, you just got to go a little way south of there and you're in the book of Acts. Chapter 1, verse 4. Now this takes place after Jesus has been crucified and he's risen from the dead. And after he has made his initial appearances alive to his disciples following his resurrection, now he's reached the point where he's going to ascend into heaven. These are his parting words. These are some of the final words to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. It says there, And being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. They're standing on the Mount of Olives. It's just outside the walled city of Jerusalem, still within the city limits. He says, don't leave here, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. You know the Holy Spirit I've been talking to you about, he's saying? Because when he uses that term, promise of the Father, in my Bible, it's capitalized. Capital P for promise, capital F for Father, because he's referring to the Holy Spirit. And he says, you've heard me talk about the Holy Spirit. Wait here in Jerusalem until you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I, I came to faith in Jesus as a pretty young man, about 8 or 9 years old, actually younger than that. And I, you know, I, I walked with the Lord diligently. I went to church. I read my Bible. I, I, I served the Lord. But I reached my early teens, and I, I became acutely aware that something was missing. I'd read the book of Acts, and I'd say, man, my, 
my Christian life doesn't look a whole lot like this. The power unleashed through these believers that changed the world somehow kind of missing from my, my Christian experience. I was doing all the right things, but they're, man. And you see, I'm, I, this is not because I have any animosity towards them. I, I, I'm thankful to God for the church that I grew up in, but they didn't tell me anything about the second half of Jesus's um, declaration there on that day of the Feast of Tabernacles. So I got my thirst quenched, but I wasn't experiencing the overflow of the power of God in my life and set me on a search to find the answer to why that was. My testimony doesn't really matter today, but perhaps you have had a similar experience in your life of faith. And I want to talk to you today about, about the second half that overflow of the Holy Spirit in your life that God intends for you to know. So, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, what is it? Well, it, it means to be, or the word baptized means to be immersed in, overwhelmed by, or under the influence of someone or something. Earlier we saw that video of people being baptized in water. They were immersed in the water. So when we talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, when Jesus said, don't go anywhere until you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, he was talking about till that day you are overcome, overwhelmed. Till that day you are dunked in, immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit because you're not going to be able to do what I've called you to do otherwise. It is the release of the overflowing of the Holy Spirit. The overflowing of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. It's not that you get more of the Holy Spirit. You, you can't. When you come to faith in Jesus and you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you and you have the Holy Spirit. Not in just some token form, but you have the Holy Spirit in you. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the overflow, the release of the Holy Spirit from my life to touch this world. And it is a, an experience distinct from and subsequent to, or after, or following salvation. Now, follow with me as I make my way just briefly. I'm not going to have you turn to the passage and, and, and read them with me. You can do that later if you want. But let me just paraphrase what happens as we talk, as we make our way through the book of Acts and the five occasions when people were, were told were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You realize if it was just one time... The one time that the, the Bible talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that would be enough. But the Bible talks about it five times in the book of Acts, people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let's look at those briefly and see if we see a pattern that develops. Okay? So the first is the disciples. We already kind of read a little bit about Jesus departing to heaven. He says, hey, hang out here. Wait, don't go anywhere. Don't take on this assignment I've given you to reach the world with my gospel until you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, what preceded that was when Jesus rose from the dead and he was with his disciples in the upper room, showed himself alive to them for the first time, and they're blown away. And now, all of a sudden, it's starting to make sense, all the things that he'd been trying to tell them. And they go, oh, my God. He's alive. And at that point... For the first time, they can be saved in the way we, the New Testament defines and understands salvation because they can believe in a risen Savior. In that moment, they are converted. And Jesus does this. He goes, 
And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Because that's what happens when you're converted. When you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you. And then he said, now, wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we read about that happening in Acts chapter 2. And you can go there. And they, so they're gathered together waiting. And so on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus died on the cross, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And it says they spoke in languages. They were praying to God in languages they'd never learned. There were people there from all over the known world, Jews who had come back to Jerusalem to celebrate another feast, Pentecost. They see these fishermen and, and tax collectors, these common people who wouldn't have any way of learning foreign languages, and they hear them speaking to God in the languages of the countries they've come from. And they're amazed. They're blown away, and they're saying, Peter, what the heck is going on? And Peter preaches his first sermon and uh, tells them what's going on. Then, later, a guy who comes to faith in Christ, it's in the, first, uh, uh, in the first church there in Jerusalem, after the day of Pentecost, a guy named Philip, he goes down to Samaria, and he preaches the gospel to the people there in that city. And it says they responded to the gospel. They believed in Jesus as their Savior. And then the apostles, they hear about this, and so they send some guys down to Samaria to make sure that the believers there have also been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so they pray for them to to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and they do. Now, it doesn't tell us that when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit that they spoke in tongues, but what it does tell us is that there's this magician there, a guy named Simon, a famous uh, magician, who's watching people being baptized in the Holy Spirit and something observable is happening because he goes to the apostles and he says, hey, uh, can I buy the ability to do this to people as part of my act? So something, it wasn't that they were just kind of standing there. (laughs) Something observable was happening and it's likely, uh, without much of a stretch of the imagination, that they were speaking in tongues. Then the Apostle Paul. His name was Saul at this point, and he hated Christians. He was a Pharisee, and he had gotten uh, permission, orders from from the high priest to go to the city of Damascus in Syria and capture any Christians that he could find and bring them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. So he's on his way there to do that. It says he's breathing out threatenings. He hates Christians so much, he can't wait to get his hands around their necks. But Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus and the the glory of Christ's presence is so magnificent. It blinds him, knocks him off his horse and he's going, oh, what the heck is going on? And the Lord speaks to him and says, Paul, what are you doing? Saul, what are you doing? You can't win this battle. Why are you fighting me? And he goes, Lord. You know, the Bible says you can't say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He says, Lord, what would you have me do? That day, Paul was converted. He gave his life to Jesus. He, the Holy Spirit came to reside in him. He went to the, they led him because he's still blind. They led him by the hand into the city of Damascus. He waited there for three days. He didn't eat. He's waiting for what's next. I can't see. I don't, my whole life has been transformed. I don't even know what to do with myself. The Lord speaks to another guy in the city of Damascus, a Christian named Ananias. He says, Ananias, uh, 
And you can imagine, you're just praying, you're buying your own business, you're hiding out really because you heard Saul's coming and going to take you prisoner if he finds you. And the Lord speaks to you and says, hey, Ananias, I want you to go pray for Saul. Nah, that, that, that can't be God. I mean, I, how could that? You got to be kidding me. No, I'm serious. I want you to go pray for him. And here's what I, want, what I want you to do. I want you to pray for him that he'll receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias, he chokes down all this fear and who knows what else. And he goes there and he prays for him. And Paul is baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets the second half. And it doesn't say that Paul spoke in tongues. But later when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he said, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than all of you. So somewhere along the line, he began to speak in tongues. Then there's this guy, Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion. He's the leader of 100 Roman soldiers. He's not a Jew and uh, has no access to the Jewish faith, to the temple, to the word of God. But somehow or another, he's come to believe in Jehovah. And he's seeking to, to connect with this God. And God sends an angel to him and tells him, hey, send some men down to this city, look for this guy named Simon Peter, bring him back here, and he'll tell you what to do. So he does it. Peter shows up, Peter preaches. Before he can finish his sermon, um, uh, you know, the, the Roman centurion Cornelius and his whole household, before he can finish, because they're just waiting, you know, they're, tell us what to do. And so Peter says, Jesus, and they go, okay, we got it. And they, they reach out in faith to Christ and says they're saved and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. They got the whole package in one time, at one time. Then there's the Ephesians. Paul shows up in the city of Ephesus and it says he found some believers there. People who have come to faith in Christ. And he says to them, well, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have you been filled with the Spirit? Did you get the second half? And they say, well, we never even heard of the Holy Spirit. So he explains to them who the Holy Spirit is and then he prays over them and they are filled with the Holy Spirit and says they spoke in tongues. You see the pattern here? People coming to faith in Christ. Anyone thirsty, come to me and drink. And then they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And out of your innermost being will flow a river of living water. And it says in, it, in three of the five cases, specifically they spoke in tongues, and the other two is pretty well inferred. So we have this amazing record of what God intends the Christian life to be like. It's hard to avoid. And as a young teenager, when I was looking for what was missing in my life, that's what stood out to me as I was reading the book of Acts. How have I missed this? And I came to the Lord and I said, Lord, I, I, look, if you're God, then what am I doing dancing around here? If you're God and you're the God of the Bible, I want the whole deal. I want every part of this thing. I want to step up. I want to step in. I don't want to dabble with it. God met me that night. I didn't know what I, didn't know what I was doing. I, nobody ever taught me about this stuff, but God met me that night. My life was forever transformed. I got the second, second part. I got the second half. All right, so that's what it is. What about tongues? <laughs> Uh, look, let me just recognize that people have done a lot of weird stuff in the name of Jesus and in the name of the Holy Spirit and particularly in the name of tongues. You've seen it. You've heard it. If you haven't experienced yourself, some of you have some, some strange stories to tell. 
And I'd like to ask you for a moment to just set those things aside if you can. Come with me to the scriptures. Let's see what God has to say about this subject before you write it off, okay? Because the gift of tongues is, is a wonderful gift, clearly associated with the baptism in the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament. God isn't going to give us something that's weird and odd and uh, hard and icky. <laughs> this is something he wants for us to have because it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's amazing. It's spirit-enhanced communication with God. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, it says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. It's all about me communicating with God. In prayer, 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Notice that. I pray in the spirit, but my mind is not engaged. My, my understanding is unfruitful. Paul is saying that, and he's not saying that that's a negative. He's saying that's a positive. I, when I'm praying in the spirit, I'm praying out of my uh, heart, the deepest part of me, and I don't have to filter it through the small aperture of my intellect. We'll come back to that. So it's prayer. The very next verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 5, it says, what, uh, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. So it's communication with God, both prayer and praise. Let me try to illustrate it this way. You know, when you communicate with God, you have some stuff in your heart that you want God to know. You want to tell him something, uh, a desire that you have, you, someone you're concerned about that you want him to do something for. You want to uh, declare to him your, the, how valuable he is to you, how wonderful he is to you, how grateful you are for his love and mercy. Those things are in your heart and you want him to know that. But how many of you have had the experience where you try to, you, you know, you're praying along and you just run out of gas. You, you, don't, you don't have any more words. But the thing is still there. You still want to talk to God, but you've exhausted your vocabulary. Or you're worshiping. You're just worshiping away and praise the Lord, hallelujah, now you don't know what else to say, <laughs> right? Our hearts are full of what we want to communicate with God, but we are limited by our intellect and by our vocabulary. This is a picture of a dictionary. We have to, when, we're, when I'm talking to you, I have to filter what's, what's inside of me that I want you to know through this third thing, the, a dictionary, through vocabulary, we have agreed, Sue and I, we've agreed that these words mean certain things. And so when I, I'm trying to tell her something, I, I go to the dictionary and I use some of those words that we've agreed mean certain things and then she can understand sort of what I'm talking about. You ever, ever had that experience where you're not quite sure you fully understood, but sort of, right? When she wants to talk back to me, she has to do the same thing. Okay, I think I understand what he's saying. Let me find some words that will ca or capture what I'm trying to, to say in response. So she sends it back through the dictionary and it gets to me and it kind of sort of works. That's how language and communication functions. When I go to Taiwan and everybody there speaks Mandarin Chinese, I'm in trouble. 
because we don't have the same dictionary. And I've got, I'll, I'll look them in the eye and I, I've got some stuff I want to tell you, but I am literally a, a, a prisoner of having to have a third party in the room, the living human dictionary to, to make the connection, an interpreter. It's tough stuff. Communication is hard because we are limited. Every language on earth has the same limitation. There's only so much, only so many words to, uh, to, def- to um, wrap around the things that we're trying to say. So this is how it works with God. I've got stuff in my heart I want to tell him, but I've got to filter it through this small opening of my intellect and my vocabulary, and then I speak it. And listen, God made us to be verbal. You know, look, you can pray to God with just no words. You know, you just quietly. God understands that. He knows what's in your heart. It's not that God doesn't know. But even when I'm doing that, I'm thinking words. Because God meant for us to be vocal. He built us that way. That's how it works. When I'm communicating with you, I have to say something. So it starts with my heart, filters through my vocabulary, out my lips to Jesus. That's kind of how it works, right? What if you could take the dictionary out of the way? What if I could just take what's in my heart straight to God? How freeing and how liberating would that be? And that's what the gift of tongues does for me. It's not a, you know, tongues is just simply another language, a language you haven't learned and it's not any better than your native language. It just disengages your intellect from the, pro- from the process. You don't have to filter it through what you th- think and what you know. It's so, so amazing. And that's why the Lord knew that of the gifts of the Spirit, we were going to need that one first. Because of the communication with God that gets so much deeper as a result. So let me ask another question that is often asked at this point. Is all of this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, gift of tongues, is it for today? And I'll acknowledge that there are people who say no. That there are whole segments of Christian doctrine, and I'm I'm not here to badmouth them. I'm just saying that there are uh, Christians who believe and, and have... You know, thought out rational reasons why, in their mind, biblical reasons why they believe that the second half, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, um, is no longer needed. When you get saved, you get the whole package, and that's it. We don't need the uh, miraculous gifts of the Spirit, like tongues or healing or all of that, because now we have the Bible. And I, I understand the argument but I don't agree with it and I don't think the Bible teaches that. So I'm not going to tell you any more about the other side. I'm just going to tell you my side. Is that okay? (laughs) So in answer to the question, is it for us today? I would say the answer is yes and here's one of the reasons why. In Acts chapter 2 verse 38 it says this. Peter is speaking. He's preaching his very first sermon on the day of Pentecost. And people are all there. What in the world is going on? How do you fishermen and tax collectors just know how to speak the language of my homeland how do you know this how is this going on what is this power on display and he says to them it's jesus and he talks to them about proclaims the gospel and then he says repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins he's talking about water baptism get saved 
And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. I think that includes you and me. I believe that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised is for us today as much as it was for them and as needed as much today as it was then. And then sometimes people will ask the question, okay, I get it, I want the power of the Holy Spirit, but does that mean I gotta have tongues too? <laughs> I understand it. And I, look, the devil, in my opinion, works over, over time to mess with people's understanding of the gift of tongues because it robs them of something very special. I was teaching on this subject one time to a group of men, and we got to this point, and I said, so, I asked the question, so, do I have to speak in tongues? Do I have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And the room went dead silent. I mean, you could hear a pin drop. Why? Because they were waiting for me to say, no, you don't have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or, you know, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It, I understood it, but it bothered me. It's, it's sad to me that people would want just part. <laughs> Get the whole thing. You buy the shoes, you get the tongues. <laughs> I mean, it's one package, right? I said to those guys, I said, no, you can be, look, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know what it was. I was just hungry for God. And nobody really explained anything to me. I told you a little bit about my journey. And I, so I was baptized in the Holy Spirit a while before I even got around to thinking about, oh, there's this tongues thing too. So yeah, you, you don't have to be speaking tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I would say you get to. Why would you not want to? <laughs> now look, I, I understand that uh, people will point to, you know, you, you got to deal with this thing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, he says, I would or I wish you all spoke in tongues. And you need to understand when he says that, he uses that word wish or I would, it's a very strong word. It's I want you all to speak in tongues. And get the context, because he's talking to the church in Corinthian, or, uh, Corinth, where these people have just gone, gone bananas with tongues. So they all get together. Imagine, we get everybody together here, 100 people, 100, uh, more than that, a couple hundred people in this room, and we all just start jabbering away in tongues. And I'm up here trying to referee. That's what, that's what Paul was walking into in the church in Corinth and trying to bring order to this mess. But instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, look, if it was me and I showed up, you asked me to come and straighten it out. I'd say, shut up. Stop this tongue stalking stuff. And let's get some other things in place first, all right? No, but he doesn't. He says, I want you all to speak in tongues. But let's, let's kind of discern how it's supposed to go and let's get some order in the, in the chaos here. You've got to deal with that if you're going to write this tongues thing off. Paul, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I want you all to speak in tongues. But I do know in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 30, Paul also asks a rhetorical question at one point. He says, do all speak with tongues? And he, the, it's clear he, under, he means for you to understand the answer is no. But you've got to also understand that the context of those verses right there is about what's happening when the whole church is together. He says, does everybody, when the church is together, does everybody prophesy? Does everybody speak in tongues? No, no. He, he goes on and gives them. He, look, he, 
If, you're gonna, if there's going to be tongues, it's two or three, and it's got to be interpreted. He gives them all these instructions, right? That's the context of that question. It's not that, you know, not everybody's going to speak in tongues, personally. I also know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, it says, where there are prophecies, they'll fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know now, excuse me, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. He's talking about the, that point when we see Jesus face to face. When Jesus comes again, yeah, tongues will cease. I won't need that anymore. But for now, has knowledge vanished away? I'm still reading prophecies in this Bible that are being fulfilled in my lifetime and beyond, so prophecies haven't failed. So where do we come off thinking that tongues has ceased? It's, it's, it's when we're face-to-face -face with Jesus, none of this will matter anymore. Right? But until then, hallelujah, we have this incredible gift. So how do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues? Man, there are people who've made this out to be some big ordeal. You know, you've got to come and beg Jesus to, you know, and they'll talk, they'll use the term tarrying. You know, Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And they've made this, this weird thing where you've got to come to the altar week after week and just beg God for the Holy Spirit. And when you're desperate enough, then maybe he'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And that is not anywhere consistent with anything we read in the, in the Bible. We simply ask. We simply ask. We come to the one who said, come to me and drink, and out of your innermost being will flow a river of living water. This is something he wants for us to have. So we come to him and speak to him in our native language. We pray, Lord God, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. And we do business with whatever he brings to, you know, if there's any unrepented sin you need to take care of, any other stuff that God's been dealing with your life that you've been postponing, deal with it. Get that stuff out of the way and just ask him to grant you the overflow of his spirit. Luke chapter 11 says this. If a son asks for bread, those of you who are parents, your child comes to you and asks for bread, any, from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, <laughs> know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Period. Full stop. We ask. Alone in my room one night, after searching, the, as I told you, through the book of Acts to try to figure out what was disconnected in my relationship with the Lord, I just said, God, I don't, I, I know I don't have what these people had, and I want it. That was it. God met me there in that day, in that room, and on that day, I've never been the same since. And then, you just talk to God in your spiritual language. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. How do I do that? You know, it's really not that big of a deal. You just speak. You vocalize whatever the Holy Spirit gives you. Look, when I can't, when I, you know, later, after my experience in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I started to see, well, there's a connection between the Holy Spirit and 
and speaking in tongues. Man, I want that too. I got the shoes. I want the tongues. I, got the, I want the whole thing. And so I went to the Lord and I said, this is exactly what I did. I said, Lord, I want the gift of tongues. <laughs> and I'm like, nothing's happening. Here's what I expected. I mean, I had, oh, I had this faith going, you know. I'm, I expected... You know, that the Holy Spirit would somehow get a hold of my tongue and just start doing something. And it didn't happen, and I was kind of discouraged about that. So I did what you're always supposed to do. I went back to the scriptures. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says this. It says, they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. All of a sudden, it dawns on me, oh, I'm going to say something. It's my vocal cords, it's my lungs, it's my larynx, it's my larynx, it's my uh, uh, lips, it's my vocalizing. I'm going to speak. It's a partnership. And the Holy Spirit is going to give me what to say. So you just, Lord, I want this gift. I know you want to give it to me. Holy Spirit, and you go. You start to vocalize whatever you're given. And get this. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So you don't worry about what it sounds like. Or if you can understand, what am I saying? What am I saying? Who cares? The point is, you don't want to think about it. I just want to take my heart and give it to God, right? I don't want to think about it. But sometimes people get really hung up right there. In fact, I did. You got to press through that intellectual bottleneck that some of us real sophisticated people have. You know, like Peter, you know, Jesus came and says, Peter, come to me on the water. Peter steps out of the boat. He's walking on water, folks. And then all of a sudden it dawns on him, wait a minute, I can't do this. This is not possible. And what happens? He starts to sink. That's exactly what happened to me when I first started praying in tongues. I said, I, 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 you know, I rattle off like a, a, a sentence or a phrase, and then I go, oh, wait a minute. I can't do this. This is just... This is just baby talk. This is just gibberish. It doesn't sound like any language I've ever heard. And I was, I was in that intellectual bottleneck thing where I was choking off something that God wanted to give me because I was thinking too much about it. And I remember the Lord said to me, look, you asked me for, this was very strong, but the Lord talks to me the way that I need uh, to hear it. And he'll talk to you differently probably. But he said to me, look, you asked me for a gift I want to give you and now you're giving it back? And I said, oh, no, 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 um, that's not what I'm doing. And I just decided to persevere with that. So I just, every chance I got, I just let it fly, you know. And eventually, I, I realized that this little phrase had blossomed out into this whole language that I wasn't even aware of. I didn't even care. I didn't think about it anymore. I found my heart just being released to God in prayer and praise in a way that I'd never experienced. You can't become... Distracted by concerns over authenticity. We want, you know, I hear people a lot of times, well, it doesn't sound like a, a language to me. Shouldn't it be some known language? No. On the day of Pentecost, yes, when they prayed, we're told specifically when they prayed in tongues that the people there that were from other countries heard them speak, praying to God in their languages. But that's the only one of the five times we, we, we see that. And in uh, Acts chapter or First Corinthians chapter thirteen verse one it says though I pray with the tongues of men 
and angels. Apparently, there's angelic languages. How would you recognize that? And in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, it says, For uh, he who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. So apparently, there's unknown languages. The point is, it doesn't matter. Some years ago, I was in a Bible study like one of our, our microchurches. And a woman there, a Hispanic woman, I'm not sure what country she was from, but she spoke Spanish as her native language. She said, like we do in our microchurches, she said, would you all pray for me? My son is uh, an alcoholic, and he's, he's really struggling. He could use prayer. So we huddled around, and I said, well, he's not here. Why don't you sit in this chair here? We'll, we'll huddle around you, lay hands on you on his behalf, and we'll pray. So we all did start praying. At some point, while I was praying for her, and, and it's not just me. Everybody's praying kind of all at once. At some point, I slipped into uh, praying in, the, in tongues, praying in the Spirit. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, a, you know, I made the decision to do so. I don't think it just happened, but I, I was praying in, in tongues. After the prayer time, that woman came up to me. She said, Randy, did you know you were praying in Spanish? I don't know. Look, I know, the, I know taco. That's all I know in Spanish. Now, look, I don't know if the miracle was that I was praying in Spanish or that she heard me in Spanish. I don't know, and I don't care. It doesn't matter. It matters not. A month ago, when I was in Taiwan, where everybody speaks Mandarin Chinese, and I'm working through an interpreter, I'm teaching this stuff, and I... The day before, I had met with about 15 staff members in the school where, where we teach, this ministry school where we teach, and I, we spent the afternoon, two or three hours, and I was just with them, praying over each one of them specifically, just asking God to give me words for them, insight for their lives, and I'd pray. And part of what I did is I prayed in the Spirit over them. I prayed in tongues over each one of them separately. So the next day, I'm in the class, and I'm teaching about this stuff, and I, I told them the story I just told you about the Spanish woman and speaking in Spanish. And one of the girls I had prayed for the day before, a Chinese girl, she raises her hand in the back and says, yeah, what? She says, well, I forgot to tell you, yesterday when you were praying over me, you were speaking Chinese. <laughs> this morning, this morning, as I'm going to do in just a minute, I'm going to pray in the Spirit, because some of us don't, have never heard somebody with his feet on the ground who loves Jesus and not, is not weird, pray in the tongue. So I'm just warning you, you know, it's coming. <laughs> I did that in the early service. Afterwards, a guy came up to me. He says, Randy, he said, do you speak Italian? I said, no. He said, well, you were praying in Italian just then. Now, look, I don't know what side, the, uh, you know, the miracle was happening on, and it doesn't matter. It could be baby talk. You know, my, my grandkids come over. They can, they can talk to me in full paragraphs, and I have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> mom will come along, and she'll interpret. She'll yeah. say, well, did you understand what they're Because the mom knows. Look, God knows. And, and that's all that matters. We get hung up on this stuff, and we shouldn't. All right, I've, I've rambled on longer than I thought. And I didn't want to make this, and I hope you'll understand, this is not about the gift of tongues. This is about the fullness of the Holy Spirit and living the Christian life empowered in the way Jesus intended for us to be.
This is recording number 11132 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, November 16, 2014. This is the third message in a series by Randy Bolt titled, Foursquare Gospel. This message is titled, Baptizer.